Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But, if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Lacey, for reading the scripture lesson this morning. And uh, I appreciate the worship band who did an awesome job this morning, as always. We're so grateful for your talents. And yes. <laughs> Even has some new folks up there. I saw Betsy up there playing the piano. She's got, she's got so much talent here. Appreciate you, Betsy. <laughs> and it was standing really great today. We thank you for doing that. And for all those who have given their talents just to be a part of the service, we're grateful for it. Let's give thanks to God and spend a moment in prayer as we prepare ourselves to hear his word. Gracious God, as we come to this moment in our service, I pray, O Lord, that you would help us to contemplate the meaning of these words for our lives. We know that there is meaning in this, Lord, and we know that you gave them to us to help us to understand who you call us to be. So, Lord... May the meditations of our hearts in this place, the, the, um, the sermon of our minds, may it be open to the working of your Holy Spirit, shaping us and the people you call us to be. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, the last time that we had a garage sale at our home, I discovered some profound truths. Number one, I don't ever want to do it again. <laughs> it's too much work for too little money. <laughs> uh, and second thing is that uh, everything that we own, everything that we buy that we just believe we've got to have, it's going to end up in somebody's rummage sale somewhere down the road uh, for pennies on a dollar. You say, wait a minute, not everything I own, right? I mean, not my house. It's not going to end up in a rummage sale. Well, no, your house is not going to end up in a rummage sale. But it will probably have a future that will surprise you. I mean, if you look back over the historical development here of the city of Zachary, you will recognize that in where there used to be some homes, uh, now there are apartment complexes or there are businesses. Uh, the truth is some of your homes are going to be torn down in the future. They don't last but about 50, 60 years on average, but there's progress. You know, things happen, so that may be where your house gets <laughs> some someday. Um, you know, you say, well, what about all my really precious stuff, my valuable stuff? It's not going to end up in a rummage sale. Hmm, probably not. You'll pass that stuff on to your children. And your children will be so grateful that you're passing your stuff on to them, <laughs> right? And, and, and because they love you, they'll put it on a shelf somewhere and kind of keep it there for a while. But they're going to eventually pass it on to their children. 
your grandkids. And because they still remember you, uh, they're going to be uh, too ashamed or feel too guilty of getting rid of it. <clears throat> and so they'll probably put it in a box, maybe put it up in their closet or maybe in the attic or something like that. But then they're going to pass that on to their grandchildren. And your grandchildren who never really knew you that well, they're going to sell it all on eBay and make a lot of money for it. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen to our really valuable stuff, good stuff, which is what I think Jesus was trying to get at in this passage of Scripture that we have before us today. Um, this comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is uh, what we've been studying over the last several weeks together. It is um, a hard sermon. There's some hard teachings in here. But this is where Jesus is laying out his vision for what our lives are supposed to look like as his followers. And <clears throat> once more, he's dealing with one of these difficult subjects. He's dealing with an issue that we struggle with in our human condition when it comes to be his followers. He's addressing the subject of our relationship we have with our wealth and with our possessions. You see, Jesus knew that sometimes we have an inappropriate perspective on our treasures or the things of this earth, our possessions. And as we've learned with other sermons in this series, it's not enough for Jesus that we just do the right thing. Jesus wants us to understand that God is concerned about the motives, about the condition of our heart. God is looking at these things, and so when it comes to wealth and when it comes to our possession, Jesus helps us to recognize that these are things that can do certain stuff to our hearts that we can't even see at the time, preventing us to, from becoming the people, the followers, the disciples that Jesus calls us to be. So Jesus is trying to help us to gain a different perspective on our earthly treasures, our stuff, so that we might understand where it's actually going to end up someday, and so that we might be doing God's will when it comes to our possessions. So in this passage that we have before us today, it's in three sections in your Bibles, if you had that, but it's, uh, it's really where he's asking three different questions. The first question is, where is your treasure? The second question is, is what's your vision? The third question is, who is your master? And so I want to dig deeper into those three questions this morning and try to see if we can identify those areas we're struggling with and what is God's will for our life in these areas. In Jesus' opening statement, in verse 19, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So to understand what Jesus is talking about, we first of all have to understand what a treasure really is. <clears throat> what are the kinds of treasures that we are not uh, to store up on earth, that we might, we might actually be storing up on earth? What are, what are those treasures? Well, the treasure is something that is very dear to us. It's something that is very important to us. Um, it's so important that we're willing to do whatever it takes to acquire it and to protect it. It, it. it is so valuable to us that it actually shapes many of our decisions in life. You know, some of my possessions, my uh, greatest treasures are not things, but rather people. My family is my greatest treasure. I, I love my family and I would do anything for them. And because I value them and I love them, they shape many of the decisions I make in life. And I think Jesus would say that's a good kind of treasure to have. But there are other things that Jesus, I think, would say are more inappropriate treasures for us. And that we shouldn't devote our lives trying to pursue those things because these are really those temporary treasures that will end up in somebody's rummage sale in the end. Now, when you read this passage, I don't think there's anybody here in this room who would consciously say or believe that the most important thing in their life is their money, their wealth. I don't think anybody here would say, I worship mammon. 
I mean, I believe the pursuit of money is the most important thing in life, and I will do whatever it takes to gain more of it. You know, I don't think anybody here would actually say that, but even though we wouldn't say it, sometimes with our actions, it reveals what's in our hearts. I found an interesting article from USA Today magazine a while back that was an interview with former President George H. Bush. And the reporter was talking to him about his son, George W. Bush's re-election. And this is what he said. He said, I'm not really worried about all the things that people are talking about today. Here's the thing I know about the American public. And I know this from personal experience, he says. The American public elects their presidents based upon the economy. He said, I learned that the hard way. I didn't get reelected because of it. And I think surveys kind of bear that out. Even with the threat of terrorism and all the other global events and the stuff going on in the world around us, most people in America would ask the question, well, how is, how's my retirement doing? Um, <clears throat> do I have a job? Uh, what's the price of gasoline? What are the interest rates like? What's the stock market doing? Uh, what is inflation doing? And if those things are going well and I'm benefiting from that, then I just want to keep things the same. But if not then I want to make a change. Now, I'll let you decide if that's actually the case, but I think that kind of gets bared out. It seems to be how we are as Americans. And I found it really intriguing as I was reading this week uh, D. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it was written in 1961. And he actually talks about his frustration with the people of England as they uh, would pick their prime ministers based on their pocketbooks. Even in 1961, people were making the most important decisions about their leaders based on how it impacted them financially. And we do this in a host of other areas of our life as well. Uh, We make decisions about where we're going to move based on how it's going to impact us financially, uh, what kind of job we're going to have, and a host of other things. We base those decisions, those life-determining decisions, primarily based on how it's going to impact us financially. That's just reality. And that's not a bad thing. It's important to consider how things are going to affect us financially. But Jesus is asking the question, is that to be our primary guiding principle in life? Where is your treasure? What is the most important thing in your life that guides your decisions, that captures your heart? The second question Jesus asks us is, how is your vision? What are we really focused on in life? And he asks this question in a rather strange way. It happens with that second passage of Scripture. Uh, these verses in chapter 6, verse 22, are very perplexing. They're confusing to a lot of people. <clears throat> For Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness... How great is the darkness? Now, what's Jesus talking about here? Well, the verses prior to this have to do about wealth. The verses just following this are about wealth. So we assume that these verses also are speaking about wealth. And some scholars point out that they believe that the light that Jesus is referencing here is like a lamp that uh, projects what the condition of our heart is. So that... You can tell what the condition of someone's heart is by what their eyes are focused on and looking at. Uh, in other words, uh, the eyes are a lamp that reveals the condition of your heart. 
Now, some other scholars say just the opposite. They say that the eye is a portal into one's soul. So that whatever your eyes are being fixed on, that that's, that's a sign of what's really going on inside of your heart. Uh, so that seems to be what Jesus is saying here when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you're fixing your eyes on, that is the, the portal to your soul. Those things feed you. They shape you. They, they, they shape who you become. And I think it's both ways. And Jesus is saying if you focus on the things of God, that's revealing to people the condition of your hearts. And those things that you're focusing on are shaping you. They're, they're uh, determining the kind of person you are inside. It's, it's both things that I think he's saying. Of course, the challenge with either one of these understandings is that there are so many distractions in this world to focus on. I mean, I want to focus on God. I want to focus on God's will for my life. But there's just so many distractions uh, every day we are bombarded with advertisements about things that we're told we need to have. and We, we should buy this. We've got to have that. We need to go here. We need to own this. And if we become focused on those distractions, then those are the things that are going to begin to shape our hearts. And people will see what's most important to us. So Jesus asked the question, what is your vision? What are you really focused on in life? Because those things are going to shape the kind of person that you become. And then he asked that third question, who is your master? And he does this by talking about how we can't have two masters in life. He contrasts serving God as your master and serving mammon. And mammon is just another word for wealth or for possessions. And I get the part about how we should serve God as our master. I mean, as a Christian, I'm supposed to submit to God's will. I'm supposed to say, you know, how can I uh, honor you with my life, O oh God? How can I serve you as my master? I mean, I get that. Every day we're to make that commitment to God. But the part about making our possessions our master is a little bit more confusing to me. I mean, how can we be a slave to our possessions? I paid for those things. I own them. How can they own me? How can I be a slave to my possessions? Well, I think Jesus understood something about our human nature that we all need to recognize. And that is that the pursuit of money and spending money can actually become addictive. I don't know about you, but when I start spending money and buying things, I, I don't want to stop. <laughs> I kind of I, I get excited about that. I mean, it's, it, you know, buying stuff is fun, right? And, until you get the bill for it. But uh, it's kind of exciting. We, it excites us if we're spending money and we're buying things. We, we like doing that. Uh, sometimes it's almost like a drug. I mean, if we're feeling depressed, we're feeling sad, we try to make ourselves feel better by going shopping or buying ourselves something. Only problem with that, it's a pretty expensive form of therapy. Uh, sometimes we shop when we get bored. Uh, we entertain ourselves by shopping. Uh, we like to celebrate occasions, uh, special occasions in our life by going shopping. Our children have bought into this. I mean, they'll spend all day just shopping at the mall for fun. <laughs> we can actually become addicted to this kind of lifestyle. And it become a therapy for whatever is ailing us. But all of us know that there's never enough money to buy all the things that we want or think we need. And yet... Our children are working 15 to 20 hours a week. Both parents are working full-time jobs just to support the kind of standard of living we want and to get the things we want. 
And now with credit cards and credit, you no longer have to wait until you have enough money to buy something. You can do it instantly. <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. Our, our parents, most of us, um, had to wait until they're in their 50s to get the kind of cars, the houses that we own today. And now you can do that at 25. You can buy anything like that. It's on credit. How cool is that? Well, you know where this leads us, don't you? There comes a point in our lives where we get to that place where we realize that we have become slaves to our stuff. Stuff that's going to end up in somebody's rummage sale someday. And so when it comes to doing those things that God wants us to do with our lives, there's not enough. I mean, we see people hurting, we see people hungry, or maybe we have family members that are in need, but we we can't help because we're up to here in debt. And when it comes time for the preacher to preach on the subject of tithing or stewardship, we conveniently want to miss those Sundays because it makes us feel so uncomfortable. Indeed, inside we know that this is where God wants us to, to live, how he wants us to live, but we just can't do it. Because we have become enslaved to our stuff, not to God. So Jesus asked us the question, who is your master, really? Now, of course, the question for those of us who are trying to be true disciples of Jesus Christ is how do we overcome this? How do we overcome this material urge and living this way, this addiction of life? Well, Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, how do you store up treasures in heaven? Well, there are several examples that we find in Scripture. Um, first of all, in Matthew 19, verse 16, <clears throat> Jesus encounters this rich young man who comes to him and says, Jesus, I want to serve God with my life more than anything else. I, I want to do his will in my life. And Jesus says, that's awesome. Just follow the commandments. And the man says, well, I've already done that. I mean, what else do I need to do? And it's at this point that Jesus gives this young man a bit of advice that he doesn't give to anybody else. So this is not one of those universal principles that you'd apply across the board to everybody. Jesus looks into this man's heart, and he realizes that in order for this man to become a true disciple, he's going to have to become detached from some of the stuff because that stuff now owns him. He's become a slave to that. It controls him. So Jesus says, if you would be perfect, and notice he doesn't say, if you would go to heaven. <laughs> he says, if you would be perfect, he's talking about discipleship here, then go and sell everything you have and take the money you get from that and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. Wow, that's a radical uh, prescription for somebody who is enslaved to their stuff. I think we're all hoping that Jesus doesn't ask us to do that, Right. Um, I'm hoping that we can learn how to become detached from our stuff so that we don't have to go through that kind of radical step. But Jesus is saying this is one of the ways that you can store up treasures in heaven for yourself. By coming to that point where you take the radical break from being enslaved to your stuff so that you can be a blessing to others. Another way is found in Matthew 25, where Jesus tells that parable, the sheep and the goats, He says, on the day of judgment, the last day, the judgment will come and the Son of Man will stand before the nations and he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And to the sheep who are going to enter into heaven, he says, come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. And here he's talking about how we store up our treasure in heaven. 
I was thirsty and you gave them some, me something to eat. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me some clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. As much as you have done to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Now, some of these things are not talking about material possessions. They're talking about you know, welcoming the stranger and other things. But the point is, what we do for other people in the name of Jesus is a way of storing up treasures in heaven. These are the things that God values. This is what God is looking for from us. And when you're focused on helping other people, that takes the eyes off of focusing on yourselves and trying to gain everything in the world you want. And it helps you to become more like Jesus wants you to be. Finally, the Apostle Paul gives us this bit of advice in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, as for those who in this present age are rich, and we all fall into that category, and you compare what we make to the rest of the world who averages about $100 a month, we're all rich. He says, as for those who in this present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I, I love this statement. I mean, God wants us to enjoy our stuff. He really does. He said he just doesn't want it to become a master of us. And he goes on to say they are to do good, to be rich in good work, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. So Jesus tells us he wants us to store up treasures in heaven by having our focus on not of the things of this world, but having our vision in the right place. Focusing on the things of God and looking at our possessions in a way that we might make a difference for God in this world by blessing others so that we may take hold of the life that really is life. Ultimately, Jesus wants us to be set free from being uh, enslaved to our possessions. He wants us to serve God as our true master. But the question is, how do we do that? On a daily basis. Well, I very quickly want to give you some keys for what I think it takes living as Jesus calls us to and being set free from being slaves to our possessions. The first of those would be the concept of tithing. Uh, the Bible teaches us that we are to give the first tenth of our income to God. And the truth is not all of us are doing that. How do I know that? <laughs> because if we all were, those numbers would be different on the screen. We'd have more money than we know what to do with here to, to do God's work. Um, but, and you say, how, how, is, how can tithing help me with this problem we're talking about of this lifestyle? I mean, I don't have enough to go around already. Well, here's what I have discovered when it comes to tithing. When you give the tithe, it's not life-denying. Rather, it's liberating. It truly is. It's not about what the church needs from me. It's about my relationship with God. And when I'm giving the first of what I have, the first tenth to God, then I'm able to enjoy that other 90% so much better because I'm at peace in my relationship with God. Now, tithing helps me to put my possessions in their proper perspective. The second thing is to learn how to live below your means instead of living above your means. Society entices us to live above our means. Jesus calls us to live below our means. Because when we're living above our means, we don't have the resources to do the things that God is calling us to do. I mean, we can't go on that, that mission trip that God wants us to go on because there's not enough resources to do that. Or, and so on. So consider ratcheting things down a little bit so that you have that financial margin in your life to be able to do the things that God is calling you to do 
and to be a blessing in his name to others. The third thing is to recognize where all your stuff is going to end up in the long run. As I said, most of our stuff is going to end up in somebody's rummage sale. So we have to recognize that we can't take it with us. So the next time you're out there on that spending spree or you have that urge to buy this thing, ask yourself the question, if I buy this, do I really need it? I mean, do I really need it? And if I do this, is that going to hinder or is it going to enable me to do God's will in my life on a daily basis? Fourthly, daily yield yourself to God. I think this probably ought to be number one uh, in the fact that when you make it your prayer every day, God, help me to make you the master of my life today. Help me to honor you, to serve you in all that I do today. When we will make that our prayer every day, we'll find that we will be storing up treasures in heaven for ourselves. Then finally, hold your possessions with a certain level of detachment, realizing that it's all really stuff in the end. If somebody steals it, somebody breaks it, if somebody runs over it, I mean, it's all stuff. The world's not going to come to an end because of that. Uh, I have seen people over the years who have lost everything they have to a house fire or to a hurricane or tornado or flood. And I think these are the people who really get this lesson. I mean, it is tragic when we lose our stuff. But if you were to ask those people six months or a year down the road, how are you doing? More times than not, they'll say, I'm doing okay. Now, it was all just stuff. And through this process, I have learned what really matters in life. I think that's the spirit that Jesus calls us to. The hope is we don't have to try to learn that lesson by losing all our stuff, but that rather we'd hear what Jesus is saying to us before that. I want to end by planting a seed in your life. Society would tell us, make all the money you can, save all the money you can so that you can have all that you can. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, I had a different perspective on this. He said, make all that you can. As long as it's honest and it's just, make all the money you can. There's nothing wrong with making money. Make all you can and save all you can. Why? So that you can give all you can. So that you can give to kingdom things to make a difference for Christ in this world. That's the purpose of life. <clears throat> many of you know the story of Andrew Carnegie. <clears throat> Andrew Carnegie in the 1900s, his combined wealth, with all of his companies, was over $400 million. At that time in the world, he was the richest man on the face of the earth. But over his lifetime, he gave away 90% of his resources. And this is what he said. Why would I want to wait until I'm dead to get the joy of knowing that this went to great things? Don't I want to see that happen while I'm still alive? I think that's part of the vision that Jesus is calling us to. Uh, that regardless of our level of income or what possessions we have, that we would look at our resources and we'd ask the question, how can I use this for God's glory? How can I make a difference in this world for Christ? How can I use these resources to bless others in Christ's name? If we would focus our hearts on that, then that our hearts would be in the right place, our vision would be in the right place, we'd be serving God as our master, we'd be set free to take over the life that really is life. I think that's Jesus' message in this passage. Let us pray. Lord God, as we hear these words, these are hard words because, you know, Lord, we all are attached to our stuff. 
And we want to serve you as, as our master, and yet sometimes we get things upside down and all out of priorities. And forgive us for this, God. I pray that you would give us the power of your Holy Spirit to live and to see things that are what we have as you do so that we might take hold of the life that really is life. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.